I end a lot of my workshops and keynotes and speaking opportunities with a famous Maya Angelou quote that's just brilliant. And she said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. How you made them feel. It wasn't it Roosevelt who said, I think Theodore Roosevelt, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. What's the through line in both of these quotes? It's about people. It's about relationships. It's actually about emotions. It's soft skills. It's how you make people feel. Do they belong or are they othered? Are they seen? Are they heard? Can you call out their gifts and amplify those gifts within your building? This is the foundation of a successful school, organization, and culture. So today's talk with Dr. C.J. Lowry focuses on strong relationships. And you'll really want to listen to the end of the show, too, because he has a tip for finding your best teachers, and I guarantee you've never heard it before. Hey, it's Danny, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, which means you invest in your continuous growth. You challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school now. And we'll be right back after some short messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to recruit, develop, retain, and inspire outstanding individuals and teams to deliver on the vision of your school in Leading People, a certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading People runs from February 15th to March 15th, 2023. Apply by Friday, February 3rd. Enroll by Thursday, February 9th. And get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. School leaders know that productive student talk drives student learning. But the average teacher talks 75% of class time. Give your students more opportunities to learn in class by monitoring the talk time for teachers and students. Check out TeachFX for yourself and learn about our special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Well, hello, Ruckus Makers. I am here today with Dr. C.J. Lowry, who is the Assistant Superintendent in Rockport, Fulton, Texas. He has a background with inner city and rural Title I schools as a teacher and principal. C.J. believes that education is not a job. It's a mission field. This mission field requires strong relationships, data, and collaboration for success. It's not who you know, but who you were good to, which we'll talk about, right, at the uh, end of the show, I think. So, Dr. Lowry, welcome to the podcast. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited. Yeah. This, uh, when, we, when we got to chatting, you know, the other day, I'm like, all right, CJ has to be on the podcast. He's a true ruckus maker. And so we're, we are thrilled to have you here. And, I, yeah, I want to bring you back, back in time, you know, I I think this might be your first teaching job, but correct me if I'm wrong. And all of a sudden, you, you experience this very interesting problem. <laughs> You're getting more kids and more kids and more kids in your class. 
until your colleague, if I remember correctly, they don't have any kids to teach, right? So correct me where I'm wrong and tell us that story, please. Yeah, yeah. So um, first year teaching, teaching at an alternative campus and uh, really trying to get kids through state testing. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I was a uh, alternative cert teacher. So shout out to all you alt cert people. Um, and it was the only job offer I got was to teach at this alt cert campus. And, you know, throughout the first like semester, I just kept noticing that uh, my classes were getting larger and the other teacher was getting smaller, right? And you're sitting here thinking yeah. like, what's going on? Like, are you giving me all the bad kids? Uh, are they all bad? Are they all good? And you're taking away from her. Uh, you know, what's going on? So you go and you ask your leadership, hey, what's going on? And uh, they answer, well, you're the one doing all the great work and the kids are being more successful for you. And of course, my answer back was, well, she makes more money than me and she gets the yeah. department head stipend and I'm 22. What's going on here? Uh, sure. So. Maybe that was my first time to cause a ruckus was to challenge that that there with them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's a, a good point to make. Right. That is uh, causing a ruckus and making a ruckus because you're saying, hey, I'm I'm getting rewarded with students because I'm more effective as a teacher. But there's something misaligned here, which is this person who has no students now is the department chair and is making more money, right? So help me reconcile that. And I, I would call that a crucial conversation, right? So when you when you brought that up with the principal at the time, you know, how'd that go and what was the outcome? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people always say, you know, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And so I think while I sit here and say that I'm a ruckus maker, each one of my prior bosses or colleagues would probably say, oh yeah, 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 he is. He's definitely that. And uh, I've had to have those tough conversations uh, on both ends, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you have that crucial conversation and I walk in with my boss and I was just, you know, at the, at the, at the time, he, he was quite a bit older than me and I think saw talent in me that he was hoping to cultivate and, and very much did. But at the time I was, you know, I'm doing all the work and the compensation isn't even close. Yeah. You know, we're teachers, but uh, so I'm not, I don't, I don't need to get rich, but it'd be nice to, to be compensated equal, equally to my colleague. And, um, and so he did. You know, I brought it up and I showed him, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is how it kind of makes me feel. Uh, and, and, you know, he said, you're right. And and there were some changes made at the semester. Um, obviously, when we depart, talk department head money, it's, you know, I think it was like 2000 bucks for a whole year. Uh, so when it changed the semester, I got 1000 But, uh, you know, in teacher times and at age 22, man, that's that's a lot of money. That's right. All right, cool. Uh, so I think this also taught you a leadership lesson as you're having that crucial conversation with your, your principal and something that served you in the future years, right? When you were listening to others bring you, you know, different um, challenges that they were having or things that, you know, that they were working through. So what, what was that lesson that you learned by bringing up this discrepancy in pay back then as a first-year teacher? Yeah, so I, I, I think the first thing is... You know, that was the first moment that I was really big on paper performance and yeah. not so much that there should be a huge discrepancy. But but you obviously see it across all all business world that, you know, the harder you work, oftentimes uh, the more the, the better you get compensated. Obviously, we could always find things outliers. Sure. Right. Which we'll talk about in the mm -hmm. book later. But, you know, I think what it taught me there was, first off, I want to encourage my young staff members, just like my did, my boss at that point did. Um, and I had a mentor at the time that saw the same thing. And so she was the one that kind of encouraged me, okay, go have this tough conversation and mm -hmm. you have to fight for yourself and you have to 
make sure that you're willing to have those tough conversations in terms of if you want what you feel like you deserve, you've got to step up and have that tough conversation, even though it can be quite difficult. And so she encouraged me there. Uh, and then when I came in, he was very understanding and he was, he listened to both my, you know, to my side of things. Uh, obviously he didn't give me an answer right then. He said, well, let me go evaluate this. Uh, let me look into this a little bit more. And, uh, and after he did, he came back, set some time and he told me where I was right. He told me, uh, where there were areas that maybe his hands were tied and he couldn't really do anything. Uh, but here's one of the things that he could do. And so I think to me, that's what I take on now is, is I try to encourage people to be willing to come and have tough conversations with me. Uh, if they see something that I don't see, um, you might call it a leadership gap. What do I not see? Come have a conversation with me. Uh, worst I could say is no, and you're right back where you were, right? And uh, yeah. But I think usually uh, good leaders want to find some common ground to say, hey, you know, you're, you're seeing something I didn't see because either I have a blinder or, or, or a gap somewhere that now I can evaluate that and hopefully make it better for you, and in this case, the system and the children. Yeah, I think effective leaders want those feedback loops, right? There's, there's nothing worse than uh, continuing to do some kind of behavior that's causing a negative result and you're completely unaware of what that is, right? And so they have those feedback loops uh, to be able to understand, you know, what exactly is going on to help me see what, what I don't see, right? That's a, that's a huge, huge value. So you're, you're certainly a ruckus maker. You're challenging the idea, okay, maybe age shouldn't be the determining factor, right, for what a, what a teacher makes. Now, the tension, though, is, you know, uh, with the years of experience, there, there's some honor and respect, I think, due to veteran faculty members. They've put in the time, and if they've been effective, too, they, they have a lot of wisdom uh, to share with others. I guess if they've been ineffective, they're a great anti-example of what not to become. So there's there might be value, you could argue that, there as well. Uh, but the tension also is you have up-and-coming teachers, right, new to the field, who are absolutely brilliant, but you're worried, like, will they outshine, you know, the veterans and that kind of thing? So how do you embrace that tension? And what would you say to the ruckus maker listening? Yeah. So, so again, you have to be willing to walk in and have that tough conversation because you're right. It's not yeah. easy. It's not easy to tell a teacher that has, you know, 25, 30 years experience that, hey, this rookie's going to make more money than you. Or let's say this five-year teacher, you know, teacher within five sure. years is going to potentially be making more than you. And you've really put in 30 years cultivating children's lives. And I'm sure in many cases, uh, making a really positive impact, you know, and I think you have to cultivate that in terms of, well, if you believe that you're still one of the best teachers 30 years in, then this is also going to help you. Right. And, and I got to just have this conversation with some of the teachers in our district that, and they said, well, I don't want to worry about this new teacher incentive allotment in Texas. And, you know, what is it going to do for me? I'm retiring next year. Well, you know, you might be making sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars for math purposes. Let's say you're making seventy-five, and you are one of these top-performing teachers in our district. You would get another twenty-five thousand dollars. It'd be a one-time mm -hmm. check that you get, and that also would increase your retirement. So you get a one-time check worth about thirty-three percent of your salary, and you increase your retirement for thirty-three percent. Wow. If you yeah. truly believe that you're one of these top. Now, if you're not, hey, it's just what's best for kids, and we all agree that. There's a teacher shortage because people are seeing that they can go make more money uh, in other fields or sometimes even in educational support fields. It's not even that you left education uh, as a whole. Um, so unless we get these salaries to where they can compete, 
you know, your grandkids need a teacher. And so we've mm-hmm. got to get them somewhere. And so that's kind of how I frame that uh, with our teachers, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, some people are, are going to growl and, and not like it. And uh, mm-hmm. that's how I know that I'm kind of doing things right is, is that there are people that are still a little bit frustrated. Um, otherwise, you're probably not pushing the envelope hard enough. Yeah, if everybody's super happy or, yeah, you don't have some people grumbling in the in the staff, then you, you're, you're certainly not challenging them to grow, right? Like, let's face it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll invest good money in health and fitness, right? And I will complain the entire workout. But the reason I'm complaining is because it's hard and it's pushing me to be stronger. And then I like the results, right? But I don't, you know, I do complain because <laughs> it hurts. What, so, well, and, that, and that's a great example, right? Because yeah. it hurts more in the beginning. But as you get into it, your body's not as sore and you feel better and, you know, you have more energy and you're able to do other things in your life that you want to. So I think I think that's a a really good analogy there um, to you. utilize. Yeah, pleasure. So it sounds like I, I, didn't, I didn't get this in the intro call, so I'm sorry if I missed it, but it sounds like your district's actually doing some creative things around teacher compensation. And what I heard is a one-time check. I heard it goes into retirement and then that's actually paying out for quite a while. So what a bonus there, but can you, can you explain some of these creative things you're doing? Yeah. So honestly, that's coming from Texas. Um, so okay. Texas education agency is pushing this out. Um, and you know, a lot of people say, well, they pushed it out too early. You know, there's things wrong with it. You know, well, absolutely. You know, we had to get it out there. Um, if we wait until the system's perfect, uh, before testing it, uh, you know, it's never going to happen and, and it won't right. be perfect, but you know, it's one of those things. So Texas, um, they have set aside, uh, money, to basically give performance-based pay in three different tiers um, to the mm. top 30% of teachers every year across the state of Texas. If you earn the money, it lasts five years. So if I do earn, let's say, $15,000 bonus, uh, that $15,000 bonus, I get that every year for five years. Um, and not only do I get that check, but it also goes into the pension, which increases my retirement down the way. And, um, yeah. you know, we talk to teachers right now and you say, hey, you know, you're getting a one to 2% pay increase every year, but inflation's 10% right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, how are you going to make up that ground and live, you know, what you would hope is 20 to 25, maybe even 30 years past retirement in, 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 right. in the ages that we're living in. So, um, you know, really that's a shout out to Texas and some of the things that lawmakers are doing. And, you know, as educators, we're always frustrated with lawmakers uh, and that's just how it goes. But uh, I think this is one thing that is absolutely moving the right direction is, is the teacher pay for performance. So at least those top teachers are coming to the profession and hopefully staying. Right. In the leadership lesson for me too, for, I want to point out for ruckus makers, you know, perfect can be the enemy of great, you know? And so if you're always, yeah, slowing things down in terms of innovation and evolving education is a space that needs to evolve at a quicker pace. If you're waiting for perfect, then you never ship, you never execute the idea because you're afraid of failure because it's not perfect. Good enough is is uh, an idea, a concept that I think, you know, ruckus makers should really adopt because once you put it out there and then the market tells you, the market being the school community for, for principals, uh, you're going to get that feedback and then you could always make the plan better. But if you were waiting to have it be perfect, then you never get the plan out there and that stifles creativity and innovation. Anything you, I see you smiling, so I'm wondering if there's something you want to add to that. No, I mean, I, I 100% agree. You know, I think, okay. and, and here's what I'd add to this, and this is kind of in, in some of my other thoughts in general, is teachers by nature are risk are, are risk averse. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think as a field, we have a lot of that, right? Most teachers uh, within their retirement system have some type of pension that's very safe. Uh, the likelihood of getting fired is, is very unlikely within our education system. You love your days off. Um, so there's, they like a lot of consistency. So anytime you have something, teachers kind of want it to be perfect. And as a leader, you get to take the heat when you roll out something that's not, which is going to be pretty much everything. You know, we're not going to roll out a perfect system. If we did, uh, everyone would be emulating it, but no one's called us yet and said, hey, we want to emulate that, you know, there's perfect mm-hmm. pieces. And so I think that's one thing to keep in mind as a leader, specifically in education is the people that you are leading tend to be more risk averse. So we have to keep that in mind first as we lead them and support them, but two, that we have to push them through wanting perfection, you know, just like a lesson plan or, you know, a, a test. Well, not all my kids passed. Well, God, 90% of them did. And the other kids that that didn't grew, right? And so it's it's tough when you work in a field full of people that care so much, but also are risk adverse. That's the thing you have to keep in mind as that leader. Absolutely. I remember uh, when I first got into DISC uh, surveys, and I'm, I'm no longer utilizing them all the time with uh, leaders I support, but I'll never forget that the majority of principals and APs uh, fall in the more assertive, you know, D&I sort of area of the DISC. And their staff, though, the majority of people are in the S and the C, right? Because they want that consistency, that stability, uh, the tradition and that kind of thing, which can sometimes, you know, very much frustrate a leader and certainly frustrate a, a ruckus maker. Absolutely. So, like I said, many, many times, you're you're a ruckus maker, CJ, and uh, I think you've had big goals for yourself as you've grown in your leadership. And I remember you telling me a story about your mom and telling her about next steps. She gave you some advice, right? What was that advice that she shared with you? Yeah. So, you know, I think I think I I I, I luckily have had a lot of people in my life that encouraged me, and and one of those is absolutely my mom you know, to, to go do big things and invest in people and chase my dreams. But, you know, my mom, when I, I guess, so I was, I was 24 years old. So talk about a ruckus maker, right? 24 years old. And I convinced this school to hire me as an assistant principal at a middle school um, of which I don't even know that we had a teacher on the campus younger than me at the time. And so, you know, I walk in and my britches are pretty big. My chest is pretty proud. You know, I'm excited. (laughs) And um, so I'm 24 and, Luckily, I turned 25 right before we actually bring teachers back. And uh, so I guess that sounds a little bit better. But, totally. you know, I go through this year and we, we show success um, and we do a lot of really good things. And I, I remember and I don't remember exactly when the conversation happened. But, you know, I told my mom, Mom, I'm going to do great things. And she was like, well, why? And I said, because I know so many people. You don't even know, Mom, all these powerful people I'm meeting and I'm getting in the room with them. And, uh, you know, of course, mom with their wisdom, she says, CJ, you know, (laughs) who you know is not nearly as important. She said, the powerful part is who you're good to. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, that, that really rang a bell to me. And it's something, you know, if you ever see emails from me or anything like that, I try to keep it on my background that it's, it's not who you know, and it's who you are good to. And so as leaders, I think we can sometimes get caught up in shaking the right hand, knowing that, you know, as a leader, sometimes there are political games, unfortunately, that we, we have to be aware of. Um, hopefully you're choosing not to play them, but you're being aware of them. But it's more powerful in who we're good to and who we take care of. And that kind of goes back to it's not always what you reap, what you sow. It's what you sow, what you reap. 
and uh, yeah. keeping that in mind. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's so, this goes back to sort of the blind spots and having feedback loops, but I'm really indebted to my friend Mitch. So shout out to Mitch and shout out to your mom too. We taught you this really powerful lesson. It's not who you know, right? It's how you treat them. Uh, I don't know how we got on this topic, but I was curious about phrases, you know, that, that I, I guess tell people frequently and that kind of thing. Cause I'm having this culture wall built and the, the shorter version of the story is, there's going to be some cool art with these phrases, things that keep me motivated, you know, and focused on my why and how I serve and all this stuff. And yeah. what, he, what he reflected back to me, he said, you say this all the time, Danny, you can never go wrong treating people right, you know? Yeah. And so I think it, it's in a similar sense, right? You know, it's just like, yes, how do you serve? How do you build relationships and take care of people? That's like, that is the foundation of creating a great organization, great leadership, you know, culture and all, all that kind of stuff. So Mama CJ is very smart. She knows what she's yeah. talking about for sure. Let's let's bring her back to the conversation too, because I think she was your coach, right? For, you know, the rest of the world calls it football. We call it soccer. Uh, That's right. It's a, it's a sport we both love. And here you are at 13, I think, playing in the state tournament, some pretty cool stuff happened. So can you tell us about that moment? Okay. So let's be very clear. I never got to play in a state tournament. Uh, This was just kind of a, uh, uh, you know, so I grew up in a small town. Soccer was not something that really went beyond, you know, whatever you would consider little league in the soccer world. Uh, And so we were maybe two years beyond that. And my mom was coaching us and we finally made it to what at least what we considered a big time tournament in a town that was, you know, bigger than ours significantly. And um, we didn't really have as much talent as these other teams. We didn't have the money. You know, they're walking in matching bags and we're matching jerseys. And hopefully we all had black shorts and, you know, socks <laughs> on. And uh, so we walk in very much overmatched and we had enough talent on our team that, hey, our top four or five kids were as good as their top 10 kids. So, right. So what do we think? Okay, well, let's play defense. We have a good goalie. We play defense. We kind of had some speed back there. Um, so my mom, who is the coach, who, by the way, knew very minimal about soccer, uh, and she would tell you that herself. But, you know, it's it's she knew enough about leadership and, and putting people in positions to win that uh, she could mm-hmm. do that. So we play defense and we make it to this third place game. And uh, luckily, we get into the third place game and, and we tell tell my mom, hey, put all the best players back in defense. We'll take them to a shootout and see if we can win there. Right. And of course, you know, a bunch of 13 year olds huddled up thinking they make this master plan. It works. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Right. It works. And we get into the shootout. It's nil nil. And, uh, you know, you get your five shooters. And, and, and my mom says, well, who are our shooters? And uh and I remember this message and, and, and I raised my hand. I was like, mom, I'll go last. I want the last shot. And uh, we end up winning. I get to hit the game winning shot. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those moments in your life that a blur. But but later that night or the next day, I remember my mom, we were sitting down at dinner and she goes, CJ, what made you want to choose this? And of course, you know, wisdom of older people, they just want me to reflect on why I did. They know. Yeah. And I remember telling her mom, it's because I felt like I could handle the pressure of taking it. It wasn't that I was the most talented. It wasn't that I was a better shooter. Uh, honestly, I probably wasn't. But I remember just thinking like, that's going to be a stressful situation. And I think that that's my gift is to be able to handle the situation. Not so much that I'm smarter or, or more talented. And, and that's what I try to make clear in leadership is I can handle the pressure. I'm not smarter. I'm not more talented. Um, 
And so I remember her, her, her asking me that. And I think that's just kind of been a story in my life where, you know, where are your talents? And now I know my talent is, is handling pressure and stressful situations. Um, again, there are so many people more intelligent than me, but sometimes I feel like that's my talent. And I think that's as a leader, you've got to understand what is your strength. So then I surround myself with people that are more intelligent than me. And I tell them, Hey, you don't, I'll take all the pressure and the heat. You just give me your brain uh, and, and I'll take on the rest. So, Right. Well, I think, you know, that's, that's certainly something to highlight from the story is to uh, do the hard work to identify what your zone of genius or superpower is and then be disciplined enough to play 90% to 100% of your time in that area and get people around you that can take care of the things where you're not a zone of genius or, or superpower. And so I really appreciate that part of the story for sure. I actually know why the why your tactic worked, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. But Love before it. that, I, I want to know, so that's a natural gift for you, right? That's your superpower. But are, are there things that you do these days that help you with handling the pressure, right? So because you have the gift, but then you can make it even, you can amplify it, right? By doing different things. And I'm just curious if there's anything you're doing to amplify that superpower. Absolutely. So I think, you know, one of the big things that I do, I, I try to stay very routine on my workouts uh, and, and I kind of make that my me time. Um, yep. You know, if I'm going to go run with a friend or something of that nature, uh, I'm happy to go do that. Um, but then I'm going to go lift weights by myself or something of that nature. Um, so I think one of the big things is to stay, stay consistent there I wouldn't say I eat like super healthy, but I don't eat super bad. So I try to, you know, go with kind of the 80, 20 rule. So, sure. you know, on a Sunday, I call them kind of my lazy Sunday. If I want to have some ice cream, like I allow myself to have some ice cream. Um, but I do try to eat, you know, a salad or a chicken or something of that. You know, most dinners, I try to eat a piece of fish once a week. So I think some of those things to stay consistent. Mm -hmm. I definitely am. I try to work on compartmentalizing. Although that's not my best, I'm pretty much always at work. Um, I'm better at keeping personal away from work than I am work away from personal, um, which is always something I'm working on. Um, but I would say the biggest thing is to stay consistent in my workouts. Um, I like to run, so I try to schedule my calf marathon races. So, you know, every six months or so. Uh, and I've got a, a good mentor of mine, Dr. Flores. He's a VP at a university up in North Texas. And um, so he's one of those that... You know, he'll run one of those races with me a year. You know, I've got some good friends that, that run some races with me. And uh, so I think that's one of the big things. Um, I try to make sure uh, that I do my study time. Um, so I don't know where everyone else is, but at least mine, my study time is to try to get into the Bible a little bit, even if it's just to listen to a preacher that's in a different state or a different city, uh, preach a little bit to, to bring my center back to, again, it's not a job, it's mission work, and it's not supposed to be easy. And, uh, and so I think that really helps me remember on those hard days that I chose to do mission work. Uh, I didn't just choose to do a job. And uh, so I think hearing uh, our pastors um, do that helps as well. Yeah, for sure. You might not be aware of it, but I have a tool called the Ruckus Maker Mindset Tool. And it has five components, eating, sleeping, uh, unplugging, meditating, and um, what am I thinking of? Eating, sleep, moving, which would be fitness. So you've, in my view, talked about three of those, right? Because you talked about uh, eating well. Uh, you talked about moving a lot in terms of your fitness routine. 
And then, you know, the meditation could be sort of the spiritual, but it's it's connecting, you know, with something that's uh, hopefully bigger than you, right? And, and uh, yeah, everybody has a different way of doing that and appreciate you sharing yours. So very, very cool. Thank you for answering that. So here's here's why the tactic worked for you, okay? Because it worked for me when I was coaching eighth graders uh, in basketball, and that's a, a similar age, right? It's because sport at that level you could draw up the craziest idea and it could work because it just blows up the minds of a young teenager, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my assertion. So the story, and it's a short story, we're playing the number one team in the state of uh, Illinois in our in our region. They're undefeated, like 20 and zero or something. They come to Franklin Middle School. This is like a this is a big game, you know, high stakes. Uh people's legacies are on the line here. And essentially. This kid who was so, so, so good, I decided I'm going to put two, no, excuse me, three defenders on him and just have behind those three defenders a line, a vertical line zone, which is basically like a a one, three, one defense, the middle and the back guy. And I was, I was thinking that this guy's so selfish, the star player, he wouldn't pass the ball and try to play through three different players. And uh, anyways, this this defense absolutely 100 percent worked and we ended up uh, we ended up winning, winning the game. So the kid wouldn't pass the ball. And uh, anyways, we totally won. So I I see the storm might have kicked you out. So you'll have to pop back like the story was awesome. But it was dude. I love that story. But but it's true. And it's true. And and yeah. And, and I think it's as much about like some crazy story, but like they're willing to believe it. Mm. Yeah, I right? guess it's true too, right? The team believed like this could work. Yeah, you know? and, and I think so, as, as adults, we yeah. get to the point where we're not willing to believe it because mm-hmm. we have, you know, set experience and, and you know, it's, it's having the yeah. mar- mind and the heart of a child where it's like, man, I wish I, wish I could believe in, you know, different things that, that maybe adults have us believe in that don't, we find out later don't exist, right? Yeah. But, but kids believe it and then they're willing to go right. do it. And that's why kids, you know, sometimes as adults, I'm like, golly, like give me someone that can believe in this. And yeah. the day that you don't believe it anymore, like you can't be on my team because we're going to go do something crazy on my team. Uh, and I need you to believe it. Right. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant point. I really, I'm really glad that you uh, reflected that back because that, that is the, the essence of the story. Cool. Well, I'm going to share some messages here from our, our sponsors. When we get back, like, here's why people want to stick around. First, you're going to answer, you know, of course, all the questions I end every show with. But we're also going to ask CJ, like, why we should actually find bartenders who are ready to be a teacher. Okay? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Today's show is uh, sponsored by the um, Certificate of School Management and Leadership. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school success, and empower your team at Harvard. Uh, This online professional development fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. The BLBS podcast is also brought to you by TeachFX because research shows that the more students speak in class, uh, the more they learn and the better they perform. So TeachFX has helped hundreds of schools increase their student engagement by visualizing for teachers what portions of class are teacher talk versus student talk. 
Learn more at teachfx.com. Finally, today's show is also proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at organizedbinder.com. And we are back with Dr. C.J. Lowry, the assistant superintendent in Rockport, Fulton, Texas. And he has a for sure ruckus maker idea that we should find teachers that are bartenders, right? And waiters and waitresses. I know where this is going to go, but tell us, tell us why you have that, that assertion. So, you know, I, I think building culture is right. It's, it's hiring the right people. And I think in education, yeah. we're in the people business, right? Yeah. And, and I think sometimes when we hire, we hire for a skill set that is really specific to teaching and learning, curriculum and instruction, designing good lessons. But we would all agree that we're in the people business, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and so to me, who's better at the people business than bartenders, right? And waiters and waitresses who, who put up with grouchy people all the time. But I think what they do that is so powerful is they are so good at connecting or finding a way to connect with anyone and everyone, mainly because money's on the line for them, right? If they're waiting your yeah. table and they find a way to connect with you or, or serving you a drink and they find a way to connect with you, you're more willing to buy a second one or give a better tip. Um, and so they're literally financially compensated based on how well they co- they connect with you. And so why not pull that those people into education and say, hey, you would be a great teacher because I'm going to get to give you these 22 to 150 kids that I need you to connect with. Oh, by the way, in Texas, we're going to compensate you based on how well you connect with them and then how well they do in the classroom performance wise, of which we know. If you connect well and they like you, right? Rita Pearson, kids don't work for kids that they don't or adults that they don't like, right? Yeah. And um, and so I think that it's just kind of a crazy thought. So when I interview, I absolutely try to look for ways that people uh, can connect with others. Um, although I don't straight up ask, "Hey, were you a bartender?" Uh, I do look for that on resumes. And anytime I'm out eating dinner, uh, I often look for people and and I will ask them, "Hey, have you ever thought about being a teacher?" Uh, and it worked once and twice, uh, and then I ended up having to leave that position but I, uh, for, a, for a promotion. But um, I've gotten two people in, and they were both very successful. Um, and one's probably going to be an assistant principal here in the next year. Uh, and he was managing a very large bar in Dallas, Texas, uh, when I first met him. How about that? Well, it goes back to, uh, to the quote, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I think one through line throughout this whole conversation has been just the importance of relationships and how that is the, the foundational culture. So, all right, CJ, the last question that I ask all the guests, what message would you put on all school marquees around the world if you could do so for a single day? Yeah, so, so, so I've got like two. So one is what I want the parents to see. One, I want the students to see. Okay, so the message is parents... Quit blaming schools for your students' bad habits. We love working with students, but we need your support, not your blame. So that's my message to parents. And then on the other one, students, your story isn't the reason you can't succeed. It's the reason you must. 
Awesome. And uh, Angel, who's, who's watching with us live on Facebook, he says he loves it. So Very that's good. brilliant. Wonderful. All right. And now you're building your dream school, CJ. So I don't know if you've had the opportunity to do this in real life, but this is a thought experiment. So with this dream school, you're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So in building this dream school, what would be your three guiding principles? So yeah, I think as we look at what those guiding principles are, it's, it's you're in the people's business. And I would yeah. only hire people that I know are in, in it for the people and the kids. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my first thing that I would do in a school is doesn't cost any money to go get all those best people that really want to invest in kids. And so obviously in my 15 years of experience, I've got a list of people that I would bring in. Within it, I would also try to alter how we do grade cohorts. Um, I would love to look at it uh, based on age and academic success instead of the singular cutoff dates of whatever it is, October or sorry, September 1st or August 15th, whatever that date is. And I would have one rule. I would like to make teachers telling kids not to be teachers a fireable offense immediately. Um, because I feel like we kill our own profession. And so you should not be telling te- kids not to be teachers and then be surprised that we don't have any teachers. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. So it always surprised me. You know, and I saw on Twitter the other day too, like basically like convince me, you know, it's a current teacher. Like if I was going to do it over, like why I should be a teacher. And it wasn't hard for me. I rattled off like seven things right away, but I lo- I loved it, you know. And I actually... I'm very lucky because I got pushed into leadership. Somebody called out the gifts that they saw in me. Uh, and so I'm very fortunate to get to talk to you today and do what I do now. But I love being in the classroom. Like I had no desire to le- ever leave, right? And it wasn't until Dre, you know, said, hey, I see this leadership in you and I want you on my team that I left the classroom. But I, it's, a, it's an awesome job, you know, and I, I would go back. I would go back. I fully believe right now that I'm still a teacher. My classrooms just changed and my students just look a little bit older and a little bit hairier than uh, what, what my old <laughs> students used to look like. So Absolutely. Cool. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, CJ, of everything we talked about. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? So I think in order to be a ruckus maker, you have to remember that if you want to make everyone happy, go sell ice cream. Right. And we're not in the ice cream selling business. And so, you know, I think it's a good frame of reference. Obviously, uh, you don't want to make everyone mad all the time. But I think when you're pushing things and you're pushing change, you've got to understand that that's going to be difficult. Change is easy. Transition is difficult. And so there's going to be some people that are frustrated. So it's okay. You're not selling ice cream. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.